1: recorded live. everyone, and welcome to our revitalized Monday night Bible study on TalkShoe. Feels good to be back in the saddle on Monday night to me. I hope it does for you folks in the chat room as well. How you doing tonight, Brother David?
0: Doing very good. Looking forward to the teaching.
1: Amen, Brother. Amen. We've got a new reader. Brother David's going to be reading for us. Probably on Monday nights, Brother Jason is working I talked to him. I sent him an email this morning and he wrote back to me this afternoon. and told me he's probably going to be at work but he'll try to be in here and it's just a fan. I'm I'm so thankful that brother David has agreed to fill in for brother Jason when he cannot be here. Um bro um brother David if you would give everybody a, a little word of testimony, a little bit about yourself, brother.
0: Okay, um I uh, was raised in a Catholic home. Um Knew the Lord as a child to some extent, but rededicated my life to the Lord in 78, 1978. Um, went on the mission field, went to Bible college for two years, went on the mission field, was an evangelist, uh, an itinerant preacher, and uh, was asked to be a pastor five, six times. Never felt like God released me to do that, and uh, here I am today.
1: Amen. Pastor Don. Amen, brother. Amen. Um, so you folks know now a little bit about Brother David that you didn't know prior. So he's got some background in the Word of God and background in the ministry, which is a blessing. And I really do appreciate him uh, agreeing to do this. I've been wanting to get him on here for a long time, and now i got him where I want him. <laughs> but anyway, brother, if you will, open us in a word of prayer, and then I'll explain what we're going to do tonight.
0: Okay, thank you. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you tonight, and we acknowledge you. You are the preeminent one. You are the reason for this meeting. You are the reason that we come together and study, that we want to know you more. We desire that we could be purged, become pure, be closer to you, and to be vessels of usefulness unto you. We pray this evening that this word would be spoken forth by your spirit through pastor don spears and that your word would pierce our heart even unto the soul dividing between the marrow and the bone and hitting into our spirit into our soul and causing us lord jesus to fall in love with you again in a new and powerful way and tonight may we end this meeting with praise and joy in our hearts and changed people in jesus name
1: Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Absolutely. Couldn't have said anything better myself. That was excellent, brother. Praise the Lord. That's what we should strive for. Because like I said last night, if you get that taken care of, if when that comes into proper alignment, everything else will fall into place. And speaking of last night, I want to make a few comments and I want to tie up a couple of loose ends that I did not tie up last night. Well, I didn't think I didn't, I don't think I did, but I'm going to go ahead and say this anyway. When I was ta- using marriage as an illustration, I know I've got a lot of downloaders, all right, and people that I don't have a clue who they are. But I know a lot of them's married. And especially in this um Quote unquote CI bunch. I want to say this to you. I didn't mention when I was talking about the man and woman, I, de- I never did mention marriage because I thought it was self evident by Ephesians chapter 5. But I am mentioning it now. All right? Of course, the husband is supposed to be the head of the house. But let me tell you, men, what? Let me tell you what, you are not head of anything if your perspective with the Lord Jesus Christ is not in its proper place. I'm going to say it again. If you're not loving Christ and doing what your obedience to Christ in the manner that you're supposed to, you have no authority to be that head. It has to be in order. God is not the author of confusion. Let everything be done decently and in order. Christ the first fruits you know right on down. It has to be in order. Christ first, the man next. Christ loving the church. He gave himself for it. The man loving Christ in obedience to his word and therefore loving his wife as Christ loved the church. I didn't say a shack job, and I didn't say a doormat. And I didn't say something, you could do whatever you wanted to do, but she had to obey you. Folks, listen to me. Let me give you some words from experience. That path leads to heartache and destruction, not only for the marriage, but for the kids, and for everybody associated with you, if you take that position. Oh, she might put up with it for a while. Now, I'm talking to the men, now specifically. I'll hit the women in just a second. She may submit for a while and be a doormat and a dog, but eventually you're going to get bit. You're going to get bit. How do I know? I've done it. I did it. I took the old stay with Paul and not read Peter. Wife, submit yourself to your husbands in everything and take the everything to everything and not putting the Scriptures together where it says in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. You don't push the buttons that make her mad if you know it makes her mad just because you have the authority to do so. You don't have that kind of authority. Well, I'm the head of the house. Well, is Christ head of you? If you are in total submission to Him, if you're sold out to Him, if He is your first love, and your wife is your second, you're in the right boat, headed down the right stream, and your sail is full of wind, as in the Holy Spirit. If not, it will be disorder, discord, and you may even stay together just out of respect for the kids or peer pressure or finances, but you'll be miserable. You'll be miserable. You see, in this day and time, folks, its character is so degenerate that it's hard to find a real Christian man. I've told you guys since the very beginning, Brother Dan remembered it, be a man first, then a Christian. I'm speaking from the worldly perspective, not the spiritual salvation perspective. Be a man first, then a Christian. A real man takes care of whatever's underneath him. In every respect, physically, financially, mentally, verbally, right on down the line. You treat her like a doormat, she ought to. I'm going to say this over there. She ought to spit in your face and leave you. Now, I don't care how much you waive the Word of God and claim authority. There's moderation and it has to be done correctly and the Scriptures have to be put together. You can't yank out one verse and use it to beat somebody on the head, including your children. so many narcissistic, self-serving, flesh-loving, world-desiring, covetous men well claim Christian, claim the Bible. will oh, free, or uh, oh I'm racially aware. But when it comes to loving your wife as yourself, you know I, I know niggers that's probably better at it than you. Japanese I know. The Spirit of God has this for somebody out there. I don't know who it is.
2: till you get your
1: house in order, man, if you are regenerated, you see, if you are regenerated, you want to know the things of Christ. That's where your first, your desire is to him and his word. Any rejection of that shows your true colors and lays the cards on the table, 52 cards face up. Period. A woman has an instinct to know when a man's trying. She don't even have to ask. He don't have to say nothing. She knows. Look at you, Brother Don. You're divorced. Look at you. Wh- yeah, my fault. Because I didn't do what I'm telling you you need and have to do, according to the book. I was disobedient. Not all the time, but anyway, it caused the trouble. I ain't making no excuses for myself. I won't even say, I won't even say that. I was all the time. I'll take it right on the chin. So I know what to tell you to keep you from having the same
2: mistakes. Now to the ladies. Who can find a
1: virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. Oh, it's far above plutonium diamonds these days. Folks, our culture, and I'm not even talking about the multicultural race. I'm not even talking about that. Our culture is so Hollywoodized, Judaized from Hollywood. The aspect of real love, real love is so foreign to the generation that's came up in the last 50 or 60 years. The character so degenerate. It's been fairy taleized, okay? Boy, the friendship—it's not been—it's not been presented as real love. It's presented as lust. Fell guilty to it myself. You women. If you've got a man that loves the Lord and loves the book and is trying, you will know he's trying. You ought to bend over backwards to treat him just like you would the Lord Jesus Christ if he was in your presence. In Peter, it Peter even says a woman should call her husband Lord like Sarah called Abraham Lord. Well, ain't no way I'd call him... I've I've told y'all before, if you paid attention to what I said, I've been on that end and still screwed it up. A lot of head knowledge. Oh, I had the head knowledge. But it hadn't fell 18 inches. It wasn't actionable. It wasn't put into practice. Quote verses. Know the chapters. Know the basic doctrines. But it hadn't fell 18 inches where it mattered. That's why I rant and screamed last night about what I did about this. People trying to pump their head, their gray matter, full of knowledge all the time. See, there's moderation, folks. I hope I drove that home last night. Women, if you've got a man that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and studies this book and loves this book, you better hold on to him with all you've got. And he'll know, just like you'll know, he'll know if you mean business. He may not look you in the eyes all the time and tell you he loves you. All right? You'll know by his actions. You'll know by the way he treats the kids. You'll know by. The prayer life—you'll know by the love for the Word of God and the amount of time spent in it. See, so, so to some of you folks, this is just as alien as some somebody from Mars. It was alien to me, like I've told y'all before. I had, was not raised in a Christian family. I was raised was uh, uh, had alcoholics for parents, adulterers, and adulteress. Drug me right along in it. That's, how, that's the first thing I can remember is the illicit junk. I'm not going to get graphic. But you can imagine the effect it had on my life. Because the first 12 years of your life, folks, pretty much sets you in stone and without the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit and the renewing day by day, and that book you much of a chance. Ain't much of a chance. That's why all these people out there in quote-unquote CI that are not, their candle hadn't been lit, they've never had the regenerative experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear rebuke, reprove, exhort with all long-suffering. They don't want no part of that. You know why? because they want to claim something and do what they want to do, totally contrary to 27 books in the New Testament. That's why they want to stay back there under the law. Because as long as they don't walk out there and shoot somebody or go down to Walmart and steal something, and as long as they can find a Sabbath day that they want to park on that's suitable to them, And got a little head knowledge. They think they're okay. Like you've heard me say ad nauseum. They wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if he met them on the street and slapped them in the face. Because they've never met the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? I'm going to say, I've never said this before. This will be something new. One out of every ten that's involved in CI, one out of every ten that I've met in the last six years, only maybe one out of ten could I tell was regenerated and had met the Lord and had been saved by His marvelous grace. One out of ten, and that's stretching. Now you folks know why I despise all that that namer, all this Greek. That's all I've heard since I've been in the Anglo-Israel truth. So I'm speaking from experience. If any man, the book says, loves God, the same is known of him. Because their spirit will bear witness with our spirit that they are the sons of God, the children of God. They're no different than an Edomite Jew
2: when it comes to spiritual matters
1: and salvation. They talk like an Edomite. They act like a Edomite. They will go where Edomites go. They 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 like the things Edomites like. In other words, they're of the world. Children of wrath. I don't care how. I don't care if they're Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, with old positive blood that runs straight back to Mesopotamia. Aryan as you can be. I don't give a flip. They're still sinners and may have to have the regeneration of the Holy Spirit or else they're lost, as Paul says. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. But the God of this world hath blinded the minds. But women... Listen, if you've got a man, and they some men that love the Lord. There's one in particular I know in the chat room right now that needs a woman. But he can't find one.
2: They're all hooked up in the world.
1: They're embarrassed. I've told you folks about the 28-year-old that I dated for six months and finally got rid of her because she was ashamed of talking about Jesus Christ in a public restaurant. I'm, we're, we're talking about what they call those trophy wives. <laughs> she would have been a trophy wife in the eyes of the world. I said, Austin
2: live baby.
1: Have a nice life. Don't claim to be a Christian and be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not on, Not around this boy.
2: But I wish so
1: much that some good, godly, Christian women would come into this program, especially, specifically, and let it be known what they were looking for. You know, there is no place like that. And the brother I'm talking about knows it. We've talked about it on the telephone. You, have to, you just about have to, to dabble into the world system to run across anybody to try to find somebody. It's a mess, folks. We're in a world of hurt. Wives, see that you reverence your husband if he loves the Lord and loves the book because everything's going to work out fine. Husbands, you love your wife just like Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You do that, the kids will be raised right. The kids will follow suit. See, in the kids' minds, dad's they look at you, they they look at you like God. You are their God to start with. Till they get to where they they have that choice where they run across the gospel till they have to make the choice for God. Or God, you know, God makes the choice for them, but you know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? Role models Role models. Okay. Now that I got that husband and wife thing out of the way, Brother Dave turned to 1 John chapter 1. Folks, I was talking last night, and I, I mean I ranted on it for a long time, all right, about this bar of soap. Well, I want to show you all something, all right, and I want to be slow about it because I, I, I thought I pinned the tail on the donkey about this eternal salvation, for the elect last night, but there's one part that I did not get to that I really need to tie up because because of some false teaching going on out there. All right, that do not that does not know the book destroys it all the time. So I'm going to clear that mess up, and the ones that down and I know they listen. I know they listen. This will clear this up. In other words, the truth will be out there, and whether they accept it or not, same material. I'm not talking about the one teaching; they're not going to accept nothing because they're so full of themselves. Uh, I mean, you know, they ain't going to change nothing, But some of the listeners may. First John chapter one, brother, and read verse nine.
0: First John chapter one, verse
1: nine. No, start verse eight, brother. Verse eight.
0: Verse eight. Okay. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us.
1: Okay, now I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. Okay. I'm going to show you folks something that nobody will deal with with you. See, I'll deal with these subjects of supposed contradiction, and I'll show you the way they're straightened out and reconciled. I've done this before, but it's imperative that I show you this particular one, and we're fixing to get to it now. In 1 John chapter 3, I think it's verse 16. Um, Okay, okay, now, he just told you you if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth's not in you. Okay, now verse 9, brother, I want you to read, read verse 9. In contrast to
0: what he's just read, okay? Okay, verse nine. Whoever has been born of God. No, no, that's not that's a not King not ja- James. Whoa,
1: that's not a King James Bible.
0: Oh, just a second. Yeah, that, just a minute. I clicked on New King James. Sorry about that. Got that right away.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, brother. Yeah, you. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I was in a hurry. Sorry. Okay, here we are. Verse 9. nine, First John chapter three. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God.
1: Okay, folks, do you see what has just taken place? One verse says, verse 8 in chapter 1, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Here it says, if you're born of God, you don't commit sin. You can't commit sin. Because you're born of God. See that word born is twice in verse 9 here. Twice in verse 9, born. See that word seed You've got some people out there that will try to tell you that this seed that it's talking about here is, oh, it's a seed back from Adam, and it's come all the way through, and there's no way that the very elect the Elohim sin because it tells you here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, he that's born of God, and see, we're born of God because Adam was God's son, and on and on and on, instead of letting the Scriptures Tell you what the born he's talking about is and the seed he's talking about. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. The first question that should enter your mind well, how do you get born of God? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, brother. Read verse 2, and when you read verse 2, go down to verse 23. You folks turn and let the Spirit of God and the Word of God explain this for you also. Don't take our word for nothing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, and then verse 23. Listen to what he says. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Verse 2.
0: Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay. You
1: you see that? Begotten again. Begotten us again. See, folks, I've mentioned this before, but I want to give you this in the context of explaining 1 John 3, 9. Okay? Begotten. Sound like a little birthing going on. Oh, you say, I'm stretching. I'm stretching the meaning. Okay? This begotten here, begotten us again, is the born again of verse 23. Go down to verse 23. Now I want you to watch those words appear in verse 23 that was plain and appeared twice, both of them, in 1 John 3, 9. Verse 23. This is the born again. See, the born again in John chapter 3 is born from above. This is the regenerative born again. Now let's let's read it, Brother Dave, and see what it says.
0: Okay, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible.
1: Stop. Stop right there. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. What what incorruptible is he talking about? What could he possibly be talking about? See that comma there? He's going to tell you.
0: Go ahead, brother. By the word of God which liveth and abideth forever.
1: That is where you're born again by the Word of God. Not by some spooky action from a distance. Back in Genesis, ain't happening, ain't no way that seed came all the way through untarnished. If it did, then why did God have to die? Folks, You've got to think this through. There is so many people out there that has tri- they try their best. I need to slow down because I'm fired up about what we're fixing to get into. You've got to just forget these people. And I call them idiots all the time, and maybe I shouldn't do that, and I'll explain why I shouldn't in just a few minutes when we start getting deeper into the Scriptures about the subject we're going to cover. But this born again, they say they'll deal with Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus in in John chapter 3, which that's correct. That's born from above. Okay? This right here is regenerative born again by the Word of God. By the Word of God. How does this born again happen? Turn to Romans chapter six, Brother David, I want to settle this finally and forever. Paul tells you plainly in his theological discourse on the righteousness of God and salvation, imputation, sanctification, justification, all those win words in the only theological treatise he wrote to the Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 17, brother. Okay. I, I Romans, tell you what, just go up and read. Read the first couple of verses, and then down through 17.
0: Oh, the first couple of verses, and then down to 17? Yeah,
1: read 15, 16, and 17.
0: Okay. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Okay, now, now
1: I want you all to watch what Paul, where he's going with this and watch what he says.
0: Go ahead. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Okay. Ye were. See,
1: there's there's two different things there. Ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the mind, from through knowledge, uh-uh, you have obeyed from the heart that F-O-R-M form O-F, of, doctrine, D-O-C-T-R-I-N-E, obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. You remember what I quoted in prayer last night at the end of the program, and I do it quite often, about the word is not even in thy mouth. Context, Israelites, elect Israelites, the whole chapter, That's a form of doctrine. Justi- how you're justified, being born again, is a form of doctrine. Being born again by the Word of God, the seed that's in you remaineth forever. That inward man can never sin again. Ever. And what I teach you about spiritual circumcision proves it. And all that line junk going on out there about Adam, you sin. you son of Adam come all the way through. You're really the gods. You're all that false junk. They don't deal with this stuff. They don't deal with
3: it.
2: And it's not necessarily
1: because they're evil, folks. I call them idiots all the time. Maybe I shouldn't do that. But somewhere along the line, there has to be some accountability, especially to somebody that's older than me. Oh, I can't believe I said that. Yeah, there has to be some accountability somewhere. But people get a preconceived idea, and they absolutely will try to make everything teach one single thing. And if you listen to them five times... They may go 30 minutes, they may go an hour, but they're going to wind right back up talking about the off-the-wall subject. That's their baby cake. And some of you might say, well, you've got one too. i got a bunch of them. Word of God, spiritual circumcision, without spiritual circumcision, you can't quote that verse in the context of the Scripture, 1 John 3, 9, and be honest, you can't do it. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. The inward man never sins again. He's renewed day by day, though the outward man perish. Uh, see how all that scripture fits together? Read verse 17 one more time, Brother David.
0: But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you.
3: Okay,
1: there's the gospel delivered to them which blows out of the saddle all this junk about national salvation. There's no such thing as person. I could go on and on about that. But anyway, you were and now you've obeyed from the heart. Thank God you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. And folks, I've been giving you that form of doctrine for over a year. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 and we're fixing to depart this subject. Colossians chapter 2 and start at verse 11, brother. We're going to depart this subject about eternal salvation for the elect of God. After brother David finishes reading these verses here in Colossians. This is so plain that it would take, um, I I think, a a three-year-old eubanky could get it. The way it's worded. We just talked about. That inward man, we've talked about that person cannot sin because his seed remains being born. The inward man renewed day by day. The outward man perishes. All that stuff, being born again. All right? Not a corruptible but incorruptible seed. Now watch what he says about this right here. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, Colossians, verse 11, brother.
0: Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands.
1: Okay. And putting stop putting off stop, stop, the body of sin. Stop, stop right there. Just a second. Let me explain. I'm, I'm going to start slowing down instead of trying to run through stuff. Okay. Circumcision made without hands. You got that, folks? Remember, the Old Testament was a type. The Old Testament was in the flesh, in the literal. And here we got in the spiritual. And we're going to hit that hard in a little while, about the old testament going from literal to spiritual. Okay? Read that verse real slow, verse 11, brother.
0: In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ.
1: Do you folks hear what he just said? Look at that verse with your eyeballs and your spiritual eyeballs for about 30 seconds and, and look at word for word what it says. <laughs> what, it tells you that the sins of the body was put off, was put away from you, the inward man, by the operation of God. We're fixing to get to that in the next few verses. By the circumcision made without hands. It's a spiritual circumcision. Look at that verse. Put off the body of the sins of the flesh. You you can take this, and when you read Romans chapter seven, then you understand why Paul talking about when he would do right, he didn't do right. Oh wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? With my mind I must. I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ that with my mind I serve the law of God. Talking about the inward man, but with the flesh the law of sin. See there. Two different things. Because the operation of God, this circumcision made without hands, has put off the body of the sins of the flesh. You got it? Keep on reading now, brother. Verse 12.
0: Verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the to his cross.
1: Thank you, brother. Thank you. That's good That's good enough right there. That, f- folks, if that hasn't sealed it in your heart forever, in your mind and in your spirit, you need to go back over those verses and look at it again. Over and over and over again. Not just that, but all the verses that, put, that paint the picture in the coloring book of the circumcision made without hands, the spiritual circumcision. Folks, that's not a Baptist doctrine. That's not a Methodist doctrine. That's not a Presbyterian doctrine. That's not a Church of Christ doctrine. That's not a Charismatic doctrine. That's not Assembly of God. That's not Church of God. That's not Catholic. That's not Episcopalian doctrine. That's biblical sound doctrine. Scripture with Scripture in the context where it appears... Dealing with the subject matter of where it appears, not trying to make it fit a subject matter that you pulled out of out of some off the wall fairy tale land back in Genesis one one and one two okay
2: That's sound doctrine,
1: and it's bulletproof if you believe the book. Change the opta change that word operation to some off the wall word some other off the wall word or chart changing the words you lose the cross references to this stuff. that's one reason why those people that I call idiots and I shouldn't and I apologize for that's the reason they they might not see it. They're too busy trying to tear the book up or use a clearer version that destroys the cross references. see you see you see.
2: If you're going to be used
1: by God, you're going to have to use what God used and where the fruits lie. Where Dr. Strong took all that time and Dr. Young took all that time and sweat and labor of love to give you something for the book that God has used for over 400 years. Now, I know you're thinking that's his obvious. No, that's imperative that you get that or you'll lose your cross-references. Well, I can still use them. You go, right, you go right on ahead and watch God cut off your revelation, and that's just what's going to happen to you. I know because you've got a world out there, of quote-unquote born-again Christians that wouldn't know how to put two verses of Scripture together if their life depended on it. One's using the ESV, the other in the New King James, the, the other one, the RSV, the other one, the ESV. Just go on and on in the comic books, all. Get them all reading at the same time, and it sounds like nothing but confusion and, and, and clack trap. And I don't care if your mother told you to do it. All right, that's enough of that. Tonight, folks, we're going to talk about a subject that is... um is probably one of the least talked about subjects in all Christendom. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the big churches, folks. I'm talking about even the remnant, right? But it has to be Bible believers or it won't even get talked about, period. And what is that? It's going to be the mind and intelligence of evil and God's purpose for his ambiguity or his hidden things that's not fully known in the Word of God.
2: You know, to start with,
1: there's a bunch of folks out there that will try to get rid of the intelligent evil. And let me explain to you why they do this. Basically, it, it mostly started back with Brother Sheldon Emery. And see anybody that studies the Word of God, they will see these problems arise that goes against what they're trying to teach. folks I've done this okay i've I've, I've sinned I've done it myself. That's the reason I can tell you that it's done out there on a regular basis. I've watched my Bible teacher do it. I've caught him in. I can catch anybody when they do this because I've done it myself, and I've seen great men of God do it compromise the Word of God to push a point. But this is what happens. Brother Sheldon Emery started this no-devil stuff, okay? Because if you get rid of the devil, you get rid of the operative evil that's contrary to God and His plan, then all you have to do is focus in on the flesh enemies on this. It's, in other words, you'll be focused. That's why all you hear out there is juju Race, 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 race. It's all you hear. You see, there's proper laws to take care of that stuff. But it, it, you have to be obedient to the Word of God. There's, there's plenty of laws to take care, plenty of commandments to take care of race mixing, multiculturalism. All right? The seed of the serpent. There's plenty of, there's plenty of verses that take care of that in context. But that's not the whole word of God. But you get rid of you get rid of the cosmic bad guys, folks. And all you can do is spend all your time dealing with the flesh and blood, the flesh and blood, the flesh and blood. So see how much effort. See, once they get rid of the devil and his minions, of God's adversaries. See, they want to make God's adversaries in the flesh, when the Bible plainly tells you they're not. I don't care how much you don't like it. I don't even like it. I wish this all in the flesh where I could go dust them, okay? It's not that way, folks. It just ain't that way. But anyway, Brother Sheldon Emery, I think, may have been some folks before him, but he was the big deal, especially in the Anglo-Israel truth, all right? But you, no devil, no devil, no devil. And you got folks out there, now, there is no devil. The devil's the flesh. Are the devil's to anything but what he really is. All right? They'll try to tell you that, oh, he's this, oh, y'all, y'all think he's this cartoonish character with, with pitchfork and, and with horns. Or you think everything, you blame it on the devil, the person of the commander-in-chief of the dominions. Absolutely not. You see, a serious Bible student realizes that there's a whole host of heavenly creatures that are at adversary against God if they believe the book. And every time you run across these people, when they run across those verses, they'll either skip them or they'll say it's an allegory or they'll say it doesn't mean what it says. Every single time. Because once you admit that this is true. Well, in other words, once you admit that the Bible means what it says, without your opinion involved, with all the church fathers backing it up from the very get-go, once you do that, you have to settle in. and Well, I've got to deal with this problem. I can't spend all my time dealing with uh, the Hollywood Jews and, and over there in, in Palestine, you see? or, or I, I ain't got no time to deal with the Holocaust and the, and the Hitler Hitlerites. I ain't got enough time to glorify Hitler and say he was Michael the Archangel, you see? And build some kind of false doctrine here, and a false, anything to get you away from what the Word of God actually says. And that's what we're going to deal with, the mind of intelligent evil. And why God has on purpose, in my opinion, Some of this we're going to talk about tonight is going to be speculation, some of it, all right? And we're going to break this thing down. There's probably going to be three or four parts to it. We'll just see how the Spirit of God works with it. There'll probably be three or four parts to it because I'm sure we've probably done went 45 minutes with my loud mouth running about that other stuff that I needed to get out of the way. But the ambiguity of God, you remember, folks, not long ago when I'm I, under my breath, and I do this quite a bit to see usually if it's Brother David will catch me or somebody will catch me in some of the stuff I say. I say it on purpose. Remember I said the silence of God was just as inspired as what he wrote? The silence of God and where he chose not to write is just as inspired as what he did write. So how can you say that, Brother Don? because he's got an eternal purpose behind it. That's why. He's got a reason for doing it. So we're going to look at his ambiguities. Some things, and you have to remember, folks, when I start talking about some of this stuff, you've got the joy of having hindsight. In other words, we can look back. And, oh, I see that, I see this, I see, because you have, you have the privilege of having a completed canon and history to look back on in the Word of God and see fulfillments of certain things and the way things played out and why they were played out that way. Nobody that just had half the canon could have ever even hinted toward this stuff we're talking about, we're going to be talking about this ambiguity of the Father. I bet nobody's ever told you before that the great, wonderful plan of salvation is ambiguous all throughout the Old Testament. Did you know that? See, you you have the completed revelation. You have the privilege of the New Testament and knowing what happened. So when you look back, oh, I see it there. I see it here. I see it there. But guess what? Our forefathers didn't have that privilege. The prophets would make profit well they would prophesy about things, and they wouldn't have a clue what they were talking about. I've hit on that a few times. Then I'm going, we're going to hit on it some more on this subject here. But just salvation, just the bury the gospel of the grace of God and the death, burial, and resurrection was hid up until the very time when it took place. Now I'm setting the precedent with using a big kahuna here to go into the later subjects that we're going to go into about the herd mentality of Christendom and why God in his providence has allowed these divisions among the body of Christ for a reason. I know you've never heard that before. For a reason. And when I when I finish the thesis, Lord willing, it'll be more understandable to you. But we're going to start with this ambiguity through the Old Testament of the doctrine of salvation. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, Brother David, while I'm talking. Okay. You see... Immediately, you're going to say, oh, that's the prophecy of the Lord being born. That, that's the Redeemer. That's the kinsman Redeemer. That's blah, 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 blah. Hindsight. Hindsight. Did you ever stop to think there's nothing mentioned about death, burial, and resurrection in Genesis 3.15? <laughs> you know, the word Mashiach is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. The anointed one is only mentioned twice in reference to being the Savior. Did you know that? And even when the two places is mentioned in Psalms 89 and Psalms 2, it's ambiguous there, more like a rule on earth instead of the death, burial, and resurrection. Did you know that? You say, well,
2: what about Isaiah 53?
1: Folks, Isaiah 53, there was 700 years that our forefathers walked and studied that book without any clue about Isaiah fifty three. That's the diff- that's the difference in the time when Isaiah wrote and Moses wrote, see? Seven hundred years. That's three times as long as the United States on on an average has been a nation. Without knowing there was going to be a death, burial, and resurrection. Seven hundred years. Now you remember when we're going through Matthew and the first part of Mark, and I'm saying these guys don't even have a clue. The Lord's been telling them over and over and over again, and they just act like they're they're dumbfounded. They don't have a clue what He's saying.
3: <laughs>
1: but they had, in a way, they had a right. They had no clue about what new this new thing that was coming, because the Lord kept it ambiguous, because. Of the cosmic bad guys. I want you to find me a death, burial, and resurrection in Genesis 3.15. When Brother Brother Dave reads it. Go ahead and read it, Brother. Verse 15. Yeah, 3.15. Genesis 3.15. Genesis
0: 3.15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel.
1: There's no death in there. There's no burial and resurrection in there. You could you could make a case that it was about conquest. You you could make a case that it, they're bringing in the kingdom when that seed comes about. And it would sound good, and it would make sense. See. Going to bruise the heel and bruise the head, see? It would make sense.
2: Without the revelation of the New Testament, see? God kept it hid.
1: Why do you say He kept it hid, Brother Don? Because of the third of the angels that fell with the adversary. The one that sparked all the trouble. In the Garden of Eden. Didn't like us.
2: Didn't like us, according to the book of Enoch. Wasn't going to bow down and worship us. Nope. Therefore, God made sitting right there, looks the old
1: deceiver in the eyes and said, Your seed and his seed are enemies. He's going to bruise his heel, he's going to bruise your head. And the old immortal one that was created to cover the mercy seat, the anointed cherub that covered, whose pride got him into trouble, started from that moment forward with his minions, with the principalities and powers, planning how to thwart God been going on ever since. 7,000 years. And God's omnipotence. God knows exactly what. He's He's not ambiguous in His mind. But He's ambiguous to His creation. Why? Because there's a great day coming when there'll be a face-off. Everybody knows this. Anybody that that, that reads that knows the Word of God knows that's going to culminate. If you got two opposing armies that's going to eventually hit head-on, you don't reveal the day you're coming. That's why it's so silly for all these people like Harold Camping and my ex- you know my old Bible teacher trying to come up with these crazy dates. Only the Father knows. It's for a reason. He's ambiguous about it. Said you can know the times and the seasons, but nobody knows the day or the hour. Not even the sun. But the Father only. Why? You don't give away your battle plan. You don't. You may, you may give certain aspects of tactics. You don't give the overall details of the strategy. This stuff is simple as reading a comic book if you think about it, folks. This plays out throughout. Unless you've read the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, throughout and know the book, you won't understand what I'm saying. This plays out all the way through the Word of God.
2: From Genesis
1: 11 onward, everything's about One seed against the other seed. And one part trying to destroy the other part to keep God's plan from taking place. He has no idea. So he does everything he can. And guess who is the center part of all? Guess who, let me just put it blunt, guess who catches all the hell? (laughs) We do. We do. We're the apple of the Father's eye. Therefore we are the oath we are the pure enemy and hated of the adversary. Do see, now you're starting to understand, do away with the adversary and the legions that fail, then you can center all your time down here on flesh and blood, see. Or Paul bashing. Because Paul's the one where it really comes out plain and clear, except it does in the old testament, but who reads the old testament other than Deuteronomy and Numbers? Huh? Or Leviticus.
2: That's what God's silent about it.
1: Well he knows now that there's going to be a seed born. So what happens next? He tries to corrupt the seed. Genesis chapter six. 200 watchers came down. Tried to corrupt the sea. Happens again, Numbers 33. Talked about again. And you read in between all this time, it keeps on happening. They're he's trying to stop that king of kings from being born. That's what he's trying to do. Everything that takes place, is is everything that's happening is man against little g-god's. And our Father God against the little G gods and wicked people. That's all it's about. That's the whole Bible. That's everything from Genesis to Revelation. That's what it's all about, folks. And anybody that thinks that they can get it all down perfect, anybody in their flesh and mind that's only lived 30, 40, 50 years against somebody that's been immortal from the day was created and spent no telling how long amount of time with the Father covering the throne, wiser than Daniel, and, you, and, and he doesn't know, but you think you got it down? You think the Father's going to tell you? He doesn't even trust his angels. Why do you think he's going to reveal every detail to you? Don't start trying to go to those uh, obscure verses. Well, he's going to lead and guide us into all truth. Yeah, all truth that he wants us to know. (laughs) See? That's what he's going to do with all truth he wants us to know. He don't even trust his angels, folks. Did you know that? Twice in the book of Job, he says he put no trust in his holy ones. Agio, angels. And he charged his angels with folly.
2: About this salvation thing. They didn't even have a clue. They did not know what was coming down the pike. In Matthew and
1: in Mark so far, we've encountered demons. The demons knew exactly who he was. Thou art Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the Son of God but they didn't know what he was there
2: for. They knew him. They knew
1: him like a book from eternity past. But they didn't know what he was there for. Then, well, maybe he's going to bring in the kingdom like all these kingdom builders out there think. Okay? Thinking they can make the world a better place to live. They're going to bring in the kingdom without the king. When he plainly, plainly said, My kingdom is not of this world. It were my servants would fight. See? Brother David, you got anything you want to add to what I've just said?
0: I have a question, and I hear it.
3: Sure, go ahead.
0: And this is the question I hear. I know what they're thinking, and this is it. They would say those two seeds, we need to delineate clearly what they are, because I hear them saying, well, the one seed is Jacob, and the other's the Jew.
3: <laughs> and
0: it is indirectly Jacob, but can you answer that, please?
3: Well, this seed. But it
0: isn't, is.
1: Okay, well, as we get on down through here, I'm going to show y'all the, why from the Old Testament, the literal, 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 literal went spiritual. And I'm not going, it's not going to be my opinion. I'm going to let one of the apostles show you by his own mouth and what's written down in the inspired Word of God. All right? I'm going to show you how he changes the book, even the words, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, quoting the Old Testament into the New, and changes the words to vindicate the Apostle Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. Dang, not a swinging soul out there. I want to touch this with a 10-foot pole. That's why I teach you folks the way I teach you. I teach you the only way Anglo-Israel truth can be taught and reconciled. All that other crap out there, by the uninformed and uneducated, unspirit-led, is poppycock, It's claptrap. If you know the book, because when they start spewing their stuff, if you know the book immediately, well that this this says this, this context says that, this says that they're wrong, they're wrong, because they haven't they have not made room for this, and the verses can't contradict, see You know. The Lord, what did he say? Brother David, what did the Lord say when they asked about the tares in, in Matthew 13? What did he say about the tares? Do you said, remember? He,
0: yeah, he said to leave them alone until he comes. Amen. Let you, them grow until there? the end of the age, and the angels will come and take them out from among us, that we don't have to do that.
1: Thank you, brother. Thank you. Now, that's out of
0: the essence of God manifesting
1: the flesh on my folks. Leave them alone. That's why I don't deal with it all the time. I'm not gonna sit and deal with that all the time when that's not the problem, all the problem. They're part they're just minion on
2: the lowest part of the totem pole. You gotta recognize
1: your enemy. Well, once you recognize it, my goodness, do you have to have a photograph every three seconds? All right, you're not grown up enough to where you can put it in your back pocket.
2: But see, if you get rid of the big
1: problem, then that's all you've got to deal with. See, that's all the revelation you've got. So therefore, that's all you can talk about. And therefore, all the other scripture, you have to bust your behind to make all the other scripture teach that little bit what you got that anybody could get with a third grade education without the Spirit of God. You heard me right. I could sit and I've told you this, but I could sit and teach it to a bunch of people from Zambia, and if they were honest, they would understand. There's nothing spiritual about the Anglo-Israel truth, folks. Nothing. I'll say it again. Nothing, nothing spiritual about it. It's easily understood in black and white, in context with context, and Scripture with Scripture. Nothing spiritual about it whatsoever. Nothing spiritual about understanding two seeds. It's right there in black and white. Anybody can get it if they believe it. But out of pre-con- coming in with a preconceived idea, there's nothing spiritual about it. Nothing whatsoever. You know why? Another thing, they want to deal with the literal material because once you deal with the spiritual, then you have to change your life. Like I mentioned at the start of the program. In other words, if you're going to be obedient. That, and also, if you're going to obey that form of doctrine from the heart. You know, obey, obedience is better than sacrifice. You didn't know that. One of them, you got it? Obedience is better than sacrifice. That's Old Testament. That's not Paul. That's Second Samuel. First Samuel. You got a bunch of Saul's out there claiming to be Christians. And I wish they were, just like Paul said in Romans 9. I could wish myself accursed for my kinsmen, according to the flesh. It ain't happening. Now, it's the Spirit of God that does all that, folks.
2: It's God that does the choosing and calling.
1: But anyway, back to this salvation thing. I'll show you something. I'll show you something. Turn to Amos chapter 9, brother. Remember though, we're gonna to get to that intelligent evil, we're gonna to get to it, but I'm I'm showing you this to make a point. To make a point about this spiritual stuff, okay? To get so you can you can you can leave the, the literal material it has to be moderation, folks. Moderation. Amos chapter nine, brother, um start reading in verse ten, I think it is. Let me turn there myself to make sure I'm right. Now what I'm going, I'm going I want you folks to look at this verbatim what Amos says, he's fixing to prophesy. I want you to watch this verbatim all right starting verse eight, brother,
0: Amos chapter nine, verse eight. Behold the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth, All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, The devil shall not overtake nor prevent us. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this.
1: Okay. There's you a wonderful prophecy. I wonder where this is fulfilled. See, look at verse eleven through verse verse thirteen. 11 is where? See, I want you folks to read this now. I'm going to show y'all something, all right? Y'all know. And I'm a pure biblical literalist. And if I've not made anything clear over the last year, I've made that clear, right? Well, you've also heard me say about all those people out there that have taken on the allegorical means of interpretation, you've heard me explain to you that the context of the Scripture and the Scripture will dictate itself whether something is allegorical allegorical or metaphorical. You've heard me say that over and over and over again. That you take it literal till it's impossible, then you can take it figuratively or allegorically speaking. And most of the time when there's an allegory, the context will tell you it's an allegory, like Paul did with Hagar in the book of Galatians. He says it plain, this is an allegory, okay? But I want you to keep in mind what I just said. Now when you see this, see how literal it is. The tent said they're going to be, read it again, verse 11 and 12, brother. Read it again.
0: In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this.
1: Amen. Amen. Okay, that's just as literal. I mean, that's what they're looking for.
0: Satan, the
1: intelligent evil, and all the minions, they're looking for this. You see, like I initially said, you go back to Genesis 3.15, that looks like it could be uh, an onslaught, an an armored conflict. You know, bringing in the kingdom. You know, remember what the apostles asked all the way through the Gospels in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After everything they had been taught, they didn't have a clue. They didn't understand completely. They didn't have a clue about the death, burial, and resurrection, even though it had taken place. They said, at this time, O Lord, will I restore the kingdom. That was foremost in their minds. And it was years till it left their mind. Years later, now I'll get into that one. Get into the Book of Acts. Peter don't even come close to mentioning it in his epistles. <laughs> anyway, this is literal. Where do you think this is fulfilled at? This prophecy, folks. Where do you think it's fulfilled? Has anybody um, built the tabernacle of David? Have they? Have they built the tabernacle of David and messed around with the Edomites and all the heathen that's called by his name? All this stuff. And look at it close now before I show you where it's fulfilled. See, you have to be careful. As much of a biblical literalist as I am, and that's the reason we're going to let the Word of God and the people that wrote the Word of God, they're going to show you this interpretation. Not Brother Don. Not some concordance.
2: We're going to let the Word of God, just like I said last night, define the Word
1: of God. And it's going to shock you. Brother David, do you know where this is fulfilled? Or do you have a reference Bible and it tells you? Or do you already
0: know? Uh, No. Well, yeah, I know. I believe I know.
1: Turn to Acts Uh, chapter
0: 15. Acts 15.
1: Acts chapter 15. We'll see where this is fulfilled. Acts chapter 15. The council in Jerusalem. Remember all the literal circumcisers. Oh, they've got to circumcise and keep the law of Moses to be saved. Remember all that going on? Man, I've harped on it enough. Paul... Paul and them had to go up to Jerusalem for that council remember i've been back I've been over that council many times. That settles so much. Chapter fifteen does If you just believe what you read, the fulfillment of that is explained in Acts fifteen Amos chapter nine seven through twelve is explained by James himself in Acts chapter fifteen in vindication of the Apostle to the Gentiles. Did you hear what I said? In vindication of Paul preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as his gospel. Right. Then we're going to read it. And then I'll show you the differences putting the two scriptures together. Brother David, go ahead and start reading. Acts
0: 15, starting at verse, what is it?
1: You can go ahead and just start with verse 1 till we get down to it, brother. It's all
3: good.
0: Acts 15, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, And they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, Ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? To put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear but we believe that through the grace of the lord jesus christ we shall be saved even as they then all the multitude kept silent silence and gave audience to barnabas and paul declaring that miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men okay. and brethren. okay.
1: That's okay. Start that Here's James,
0: mm-hmm. not Paul,
1: not Peter. Here's James. He's fixing to tell you the fulfillment of the prophecy.
0: Go ahead, brother. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written.
1: Okay. As it is written. Surely James is going to be spot on verbatim. Folks, watch it. Go ahead.
0: After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of the men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world.
1: Ah, that's good, that's good right there, brother. That's good right there. He quoted Amos 9 7 through 12, is what he did, folks. But guess what James did? Did you see Edom anywhere in verse 16 and 17? (laughs) It's disappeared. Under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, James has changed the Old Testament. He's changed the words.
2: The tents of David are Jesus
1: Christ. In Amos their tents, in Acts they're Jesus Christ.
2: So that they will possess,
1: and Amos is the residue of men. So that they will possess the Edom, and Amos is the residue or the remnant of the nations and the Gentiles in the book of Acts. James said, as it is written, is that so? James is telling you under the inspiration of the Spirit of God That the literal prophecy in the New Testament here in this specific place is interpreted spiritually. It's gone spiritual, folks, to a great degree. This is James telling you this. This is not Brother Don. You can go to the Septuagint, you can do anything you want to do, you can go to the Greek, you can do. I'm telling you the truth. You say, why are you making such a big deal about this? Because I'm trying to show you that the literal fulfillment in the old is not always literal letter by letter in the new. That is God's way, His ambiguity of hiding things from the adversary. He wouldn't hide them. Hey, if we were the only people to worry about, if those hook noses were the only thing to worry about, do you think that God would have to change His book?
2: Of course, God control
1: controls all things. He is, except that which He chooses not to be, or else He wouldn't be God. That's the reason for the free will in your decisions. Love this forced is not love at all, folks. It went from literal to spiritual. I've told y'all when I first started teaching a year ago, over a year ago, I brought out the point that the word spiritual, it, I said spiritual, not spirit and spirits. The word spiritual is only used one time in the whole Old Testament and it's used in the book of Hosea in reference to Ephraim being demon-possessed. Go look it up. One time. Whereas in the New Testament, anybody that could just look at the words could see something's different here. If you studied the book and checked out the verses and the words by words, 28 times the word spiritual is used in the New Testament, all by the Apostle Paul, except for two. That's in first in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. I mean chapter 1 and chapter 2. And Peter got it from Paul. Tells you that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. <laughs> so something new has changed. This is James telling you as it is written, this is what's happened. The tents of the Gentile. The tents are Jesus Christ. You ever seen a tent look like Jesus Christ? No. But that's what he's talking about. That's what it is. The tents of Amos is Jesus Christ in the flesh in the New Testament. The fulfillment.
2: So that they will possess the Edomites is changed in to
1: the residue of men. Not the old hated Edom. But the residue of all men and nations. The Gentiles. It's spiritual. It's changed. Those people that say, there ain't no such thing as spiritual seed. I ain't never heard of no spiritual seed. Yeah, uh, I wonder what you do with this. I ain't heard of no spiritual tent either. Have you? You have now. And his name's Jesus Christ. Folks, I, I I hate to be the bringer of bad tidings to false doctrine. And it, like I said last night, and I'll say it again. Now, it, there's no slam against anybody. Some people just won't study. They'll jump on a horse that's running. It looks good. It sounds good. And oh my goodness, it's fast. And it's running, running, running. Oh, look at me. I've got something new. It's a, it, it's a Palomino and it can run. It's got a shiny saddle and it hits a hole and bloop because it didn't take time to check out the road ahead
2: on that shiny new horse.
1: The Bereans didn't have that problem. They searched the Scriptures daily to see if what the apostles said were so. For James to make this interpretation of Amos chapter 9, he had to be indwelt by the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So when anybody goes and tries to tell you that all those things that you fight against are literal, physical, they're all here on this earth, it's the ones that run Hollywood, all that stuff, which that's part of it.
2: That's not the head of the snake. That's ain't not even the rattlers of the snake.
1: Just a few scales. That's why they want to get rid of him. That's why all the teaching against him. That's why the teaching against spiritual salvation. That's why the teaching against personal salvation. That's why all of that takes place, folks. Because God in his ambiguity has hid it from mo- from all the people that don't have the spirit of God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them for they're spiritually discerned. First Corinthians 2, 16, 17. Hmm? You see why I'm always quoting that verse? I have no problem talking about their spirituality. They ain't got none. It's easy to understand once you you see the book, once you understand what's going on. Paul's warning them all the time. In Romans 8, If the Spirit of God is in you... If so, be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you.
2: Who's this congregation?
1: Who's this congregation, folks? Okay. What happened to that Spirit being in everybody? No seed, y'all always mad them. Huh, 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 huh. Examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith. Know ye not? Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 15, 5. See? Stop that station all the way back 7,000 years. Oh, uh huh. Yeah, yeah. False doctrine. Won't fly. Won't fly. Just laugh. Just laugh. Look at them with pity.
2: This salvation, folks,
1: was so ambiguous that Paul tells you how ambiguous it was. And, say, and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, brother. I'm going to show you all something. And you've read over this. I know you folks, it's read and know a little bit about the Word of God. You read over this and you just flew over it. You didn't stop to check it out and see what Paul was talking about. That'll be 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Oh, my goodness. I think it starts in verse 8, brother.
0: Okay, First Corinthians chapter two, verse eight starts. Which none of the princes okay, of okay, this go, world. Okay, okay,
1: okay, okay. Go, go back up to verse six, brother. <clears throat>
0: okay, verse six. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to naught.
1: Okay, I want we... you to stop. Stop right there, brother. I want to explain <clears throat> some to you folks. He ain't talking about gold of my ear. He's not talking about Ho Chi Minh. He's not talking about Richard Nixon and Barack Obama. Okay. He's not talking about Winston Churchill. He's not talking about the Ming Dynasty. Did any of y'all stay, even stop to take to find out what the word prince means and these princes mean? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, Ephesians six twelve. Did you stop to see? Did you check it out?
2: Caesar could have cared less who Jesus Christ was. <laughs> All right. Could have cared less. None of the other nations kings could have cared less.
1: Go ahead, brother. Keep on reading.
0: Verse 8. Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Bingo. But as it is written.
1: That's okay. That's good enough. But they, if
0: they would have known about the death,
1: burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if God hadn't kept it ambiguous throughout all the Old Testament up to the revelation even of giving the mysteries to the Apostle Paul.
2: And He only gave him the mysteries, folks, that were
1: needful for this age we're still in now. There's still some things that's ambiguous, especially when we ain't got into prophecy yet. We ain't got into none of that other stuff yet. I just want to get this across and deal. These princes of the world would not have crucified the Lord of glory.
2: If they in you about the death, burial, and resurrection.
1: Remember what the Lord said on the cross, the bulls of Bashan encompass me about? Nine out of ten people that talk about the Word of God will try to give you some off the wall something. You know who those bulls of Bashan are? They're the cosmic bad guys. They're these princes. See the whole deal, folks. You got to have the big picture, the whole comic book out before you, the end the beginning. It's all going to culminate in a hoopla. Okay. This is the last thing they wanted. They thought, well, they knew he was here. We'll find out some way to influence somebody to bump him off, and it will be rid of the problem. That seed will be gone. They didn't have a clue about the resurrection and what was coming after that to regather Israel and the whosoever wills. Didn't have a clue that he's going to come up. See, their doom was set. At the resurrection. Their doom is set. Was set. Sealed. The judgment was taken care That they are doomed. After the resurrection. That was the beginning of the end. For all the cosmic bad guys. And all the demons. That was it. At the, the resurrection. It was a knockout. And everything that's been done since that for over the last 2,000 years is totally against the seed, against God's people, against His saints. It's centered around you individually and you corporately. You are a hated Despised race of people, folks.
2: The whosoever will secondary collateral damage. You're the apple of God's eye, you elect of God.
1: And guess what? Over the last 60 years, that 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 grip is narrowing, 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 narrowing down on the remnant, and it's only a remnant, folks. And when the when when the when the uh, the one that holds back everything from happening is taken away, then it's going to be hell, Columbia, on your and my head. The restrainer, when the restrainer's taken away, then it's going to be hell, Columbia, and the time of Jacob's trouble. But had these princes known, by the way, that word is archon in the Greek. It's the same archon of Colossians one sixteen, Ephesians one twenty 2.10. Okay, you got it? Archon six twelve, Ephesians six twelve. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. That's the Archon. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. Heavenly place. It ain't talking about a big throne over in Rome. You got it? Talking about the power behind the big chair in Rome. Flesh and blood, flesh and blood, flesh and blood. We don't war against flesh and blood. We don't. War, we, we our warfare is not with the little hook nose. That's not the head of the serpent. When you do war, you war to kill. You don't war to flick off a, a scale here and there.
2: You want to cut the head off. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal,
1: but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How? Casting down every imagination. Spiritual. And every thought. Spiritual.
2: That's against the knowledge of God.
1: Bringing it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every bit of it spiritual.
2: And after we, tomorrow
1: night, or whenever Brother David wants to come back on, if we want to wait till Friday night, Brother David, well, let's do that, okay? Friday night, okay. We'll, come, we'll come back on Friday night, and then we will finish up with this part right here, and then we will go to the mind of intelligent evil. We'll start with the beginning of the evil. We'll we'll follow it on through, and we will look at the intelligent plan of evil as far as our suppositions and our finite mind can grasp. You folks be thinking about that, okay? Be thinking about what I'm talking about. It's not where we can get... Folks, if we could get it down perfect, the one that's wiser and Daniel had it down perfect 3,000 years ago, okay? Where these people get in their mind... That they've got it all down and their chart's right, they don't even stop and think about the one that, that, that's at the end of that chart. All these people, oh, it's all past, all these historians. Pro- folks, there's problems with all those systems of interpretation. And I know where they're all at. Not, I'm smart. It's just I ain't never bought into any of them wholeheartedly. And the Lord, by not doing that, the Lord's been able to show me the contradictions and the problems in futurism and historicism. Both of them got bad problems, folks. Okay?
2: (laughs) But Friday night, we'll be
1: back at 7 o'clock. It's a, and like, okay with Brother David, and we'll pick this up, and we'll go deeper into that intelligent evil mind, if the Lord allows it, and we don't get take it out before we get there. But this thing about salvation, I wanted to bring that out because Galatians, see, it opens a that's a whole it opens a whole new door when you understand that the context will show you. When there's no apostle there to tell you like Paul did, the context will dictate to you if it's metaphorical, literal, or allegorical. See, unless the apostle tells you, the Spirit of God will show you by what's written down. You just can't pick and choose, folks. If you do, you make yourself God, and that's fine with one bunch over there. They think they are. You can't do it. Oh, you can, but your revelation will be cut off. And see, that just burns some folks up. They think there's no, everything is, you can read that book one time, don't ever have to read it again. There's nothing new being revealed when the Apostle Paul and Peter both tells you that there's going to be advanced revelation from what they taught. Did you even know that was in the Scriptures? In Philippians chapter three and Second Peter chapter one, see if you can find them between now and Friday. Surprise me! <laughs>
2: Surprise me!
1: But we'll get in further into this, and we will go. We're going to go through a lot, a lot of Scripture coming this Friday. We're going to start out with the book of Job. We're going to start out with the Accuser of the Brethren. We'll be will be going back and forth from Revelation back into the Old Testament. We'll be going into First and Second Kings. I'll be bringing up and show you this adversarial thing that's going on and things that the Lord has is total control over, which He does the very end. He's in total control of to that very end. But in between, in between, it's a different ball game for a lot of us and a lot of them. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we spent tonight, Father. I hope this has been coherent in some way because this is a subject that needs to be thought about by your people, Father. They need to pray about this and understand that their right hand should know what their left hand's doing because if they know what's going on and anybody around them can see what's going on, then the adversary knows what's going on too. And we set ourselves up to be cut down in the things that we do and the things that we say. Father, let us learn not to do that. Let us learn, let us learn not to do that. But let's, let, We need to know the enemy. Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices. And if old Paul was around today, he would be shaking his head because the majority of your remnant is solely ignorant to his devices, which on the same token, the majority of them don't even believe he's real. Father, I pray that you would take the words that's been said tonight. I pray that you use it for your honor and glory. Bless the ones that were here tonight. Bless Brother David. Appreciate his reading, Father. I pray that you bless him. Give him some spiritual understanding into this subject. And so he will add, when I shut my big mouth, Lord, he'll be able to add on this coming Friday night and edify the saints, Father. We love you and want to see you soon, Lord Jesus. Want to see you soon. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you guys, and we'll amen. see you this coming Friday night. And spiritual warfare, we're going to go through every we're going to go through every element of the armor. At the end, we're going we're going to slow down. We're not just going to fly through it and make quaint comments. Lord willing, I'm going to go through every armor and give illustrations on each part of it. And we will deal a lot also with our only offensive weapon that we have. And, Brother David, you can be going over that armor yourself. The Lord will give you probably some things that he won't show me. Okay, Brother? Amen. Amen, Brother. I love all you guys, and we will see you, Lord willing, Friday night. And if anybody's got any questions after the program and wants to call, feel free to give me a call. Love you guys, and see you Friday night. God bless.